Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Humane Nation podcast. I am your host, Allie. As always, I hope you guys are doing great and enjoying the summer so far. Hard to believe that it's already here, that we're already in summertime. We already had this summer solstice. Um, I don't know about you, but man, this this year is flying by. Today, we're going to be talking about keystone species. We're going to be talking about what exactly a keystone species is, some examples of keystone species, and maybe some threats that they're facing. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and jump into some animal news first. In southwest Michigan, which is, by the way, very close to home considering that's the area we're in, in southwest Michigan, a man named Robert Archer II, 39-year-old male, was recently found to have 107 animals on his property. Now, this was especially surprising considering that just last year in 2022, he was charged with animal cruelty and animal abandonment because police found 106 animals on his property just last August. And recently, I guess, he had moved from his place of residence from last year to this year. And just last May, he was found to be driving down the road on his moped and had a goat strapped to the back. And then this month, police found 107 animals on his new property. These animals ranged from dogs, cats, hamsters, snakes, I believe even a crab. And so far, according to the news article, which I will link in this podcast episode description, they're not sure what's going to happen to him. All they really know is that the animals found on his property will have new homes. And while I'm thankful for that, I also want to make sure that he is charged appropriately because for one, how was he able to collect all of those animals? And I'm glad his neighbors said something because I'm sure once you see more and more animals being brought into a home, you start to get suspicious. But this just shows that there needs to be stronger animal cruelty charges and better animal protection laws on a state level for one, but ideally on a more broad national countrywide level. And in Harris County, Texas, Harris County Pets, which is a local animal shelter there, announced that they are suspending animal surrenders and stray intakes starting July 1st, according to fox26houston.com. According to this news article, Harris County Pets has almost 300 animals over its capacity. And so right now, they're looking at about over 760 animals currently in their care. It just blows my mind. I know I've talked about shelter overcrowding in previous news sections of the podcast and other episodes, but this just keeps happening. This is something that we see continuously whenever I try to look up animal welfare news to put in this section. Just about every time, there are about three or more maybe articles just talking about a shelter being overcrowded. And they're in different locations too. It's not just, you know, shelters in Texas or in the Carolinas. You know, this is something that we're seeing throughout the states. And so it's it's really heartbreaking. Actually, a local shelter that I follow on my personal social media, they just posted about how they have dogs, dog cages just lined up in their hallways because they are so full. It really makes me wonder what exactly is continuing to happen here and why people are surrendering. 
According to this article, the Fox26Houston.com article, they're saying that 40% of animals brought to the shelter are surrounded by owners. With that in mind, I'm curious to know what exactly is happening there. What is the cause of this? And is it still because of the inflation that we've been having? Is it because more and more people are now going back to work post-COVID? It makes me very curious to know what exactly is the overall situation happening. But in general, it's just something I wanted to bring up again since, as I said before, it's something that we've talked about in our news section in the past, but this is still a concern, this is still happening, and unfortunately, at least at this time, it doesn't exactly seem to be lightening up. But all right, you guys, I think that wraps up the news section for this week. Let's go ahead and jump into today's topic. So it's kind of funny thinking about how this idea of talking about keystone species in today's episode came about because one day I was just kind of laying on the bed and I look over onto the nightstand and I see the tissue box and on the side it's written about salmon and how salmon are considered keystone species. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting and it's not something, it's not really a phrase that you hear of very often. And I thought, you know, this might be a neat topic to talk about in the podcast because not everyone even knows what a keystone species is. The other day, my husband was like, so what are you going to be talking about in next week's episode? And I was like, you know what? I think we're going to be talking about keystone species. And he was like, uh, what is that? <laughs> and I was like, yep, okay, this is definitely a good thing to be talking about <laughs> because it's good to know, it's good to be aware of. It's something I w- I even had to look up and be sure about what exactly it is. It's not something that I even fully knew too much about. So I'm excited to talk about this today, even just a little bit, and just, yeah, briefly explain what exactly a keystone species is, some examples of that, and also maybe some threats that keystone species are facing today. So first and foremost, what is a keystone species? So a keystone species is can be classified either as an animal, a plant, um, even a fungus, maybe even a bacteria. It's just something that holds a ecosystem together. When a keystone species is removed from an ecosystem or the habitat that they're helping, because keystone species have such a huge impact on their ecosystem, if they were to be removed or disappear from that ecosystem, that ecosystem will severely change or in extreme cases could even disappear. So essentially, keystone species are super important and have a huge impact on their ecosystem. Now, I really like the way that the nrdc.org website kind of lists out the various keystone species into different categories. So I'm going to kind of uh, talk a little bit about that thanks to the website, which I will link in the podcast description. But here are the several categories that they list out that keystone species can be a part of. The first one being predator, the next one being prey, the next one being an ecosystem engineer, and then the next one is a mutualist, and then finally plants. But upon further research, I saw that National Geographic had some other categories to put keystone species in. These included herbivores, umbrella species, foundation species, 
indicator species, and others too. So there's different categories it sounds like that keystone species can fall into, but the main important thing is is that whether it be a animal or a plant or a fungus, it has a critical role within its ecosystem. So we're going to talk about just a few of these in this episode. The first one being gray wolves. Now, gray wolves are obviously a predator-type species, and their role specifically within the greater Yellowstone ecosystem is to control the population of elk and bison species. Now, this is according to National Geographic, by the way. Now, the article goes on to say that in the late 19th century, U.S. government designated land for Yellowstone National Park, and at that time, there were tons of wolves that would just roam around the greater Yellowstone area. They preyed mainly on bison and elk, but because of the fears that farmers had about its impact for their herds, there was then plans, and eventually it came to pass, for the eradication of wolves from that greater Yellowstone area. And because of that decision, they found that there was no longer a major predator for elk. And so elk populations just exploded in the area, so much so that they had to compete for food resources. This then resulted in overgrazing. This then had an impact on other species such as fish, beavers, and songbirds. And this is again citing from the National Geographic website. It wasn't until the 90s that they realized, oh no, what have we done? And they started to reintroduce gray wolves back into the area. And since then, quote from the National Geographic website, they say, elk populations have shrunk, Willow heights have increased, and beaver and songbird populations have recovered. So that just shows a little bit of how important one keystone species is in that ecosystem. Now, in today's world, there are several threats wolves have, one of being intolerance. Humans just simply have a low tolerance for wolves, and this is oftentimes a lack of knowledge. Um, and a lack of understanding that wolves can self-regulate their own populations, and also a general fear of wolves and what they could do to farmers' herds. Another threat to wolves is that they have a decreasing habitat and also decreasing food supply. And so some of these factors just go into threats that wolves face. But now we know that if wolves were to decrease or to be extinct from certain ecosystems, that would then severely damage that said ecosystem. All right, let's talk about our next keystone species. The next keystone species is the beaver. Now, beavers are a good example of ecosystem engineers. And we all know that beavers have this amazing ability to build dams. And because of this amazing ability they have, they're able to create ponds and wetlands. According to National Park Service website, um, I want to do a quote from their website because it just shows how incredible beavers are. But quote, they are incredible workers and prolific builders carrying mud and stones with their forepaws and timber between their teeth to build well-maintained dams. These dams turn small streams into ponds and lakes, which provide excellent areas for other animals to use and thrive, unquote. So in a way, it's almost like beavers are creating whole new ecosystems 
because of their ability to create ponds and wetlands where various species can come in and thrive. It is so, so cool. Now, some people think that beavers are a nuisance. And while maybe they have their own reasons for that, I think that when you look at the broader sense of what beavers do for the land and wetlands and in general, the overall ecosystem, which is obviously the key word today in this episode, (laughs) when you take all of that into consideration, you kind of have to look past the nuisance and realize they are needed. Without beavers, the habitat quality would decrease and so would the number of species within that area. And so it's important to keep in mind that while some people find beavers to be a nuisance, they still have a purpose. And whether or not their dams are causing flooding to farmers or road damage, knowing that it's not like they're intentionally trying to do this, but We've encroached so much on their space that they're doing what they are created to do. In today's world, habitat loss and human conflict are some of the things that threaten beavers. Some people hunt beavers for their fur. Some people want to get rid of beavers because they're a nuisance. But again, because of our choices as humans and the human population growth and everything, it shows that it has an impact on beavers and their populations too, which then in turn impacts the ecosystem. It is just all linked together. But let's go ahead and talk about one last keystone species today. Our final keystone species is the purple starfish. Now, interestingly, the purple starfish was actually the very first keystone species. When they observed the purple starfish on the coast of Washington State, They found that when the purple starfish was removed from its ecosystem, the number of species within that ecosystem declined. So initially, while the purple starfish was in that ecosystem, there were 16 different types of species. When the purple starfish was removed from that ecosystem, a year later they found that there was only 8 remaining species. And then finally, 5 years later, there was only 1 species left within that ecosystem. And it just so happens that the final species left was a type of mussel that the purple starfish would prey on. And so you can see that without the presence of the purple starfish, the prey, in this case the type of mussel, became overpowering and then the ecosystem became unhealthy and non-prolific. So this was their kind of entry point into keystone species and their incredibly important role in having healthy, prolific ecosystems. Now, in today's world, threats to the starfish, the purple starfish and starfish in general, is rising water temperatures, pollution, and actually sea star wasting disease, or SSW. So those are just a few of the things that are threatening purple starfish and starfish in general today. But it's just really cool to kind of look back and see just how important these keystone species are. And as I mentioned before, you know, it, it, it may not necessarily be an animal. It could be plant, fungus, bacteria. But knowing that it's important and has a role in creating healthy, properly running ecosystems. So hopefully this gave you just a little bit of a glimpse and a little bit of an overview into keystone species and maybe encourage you to start doing your own research too because there are several more 
out there. And it'd be really neat to see just how each one benefits its ecosystem. Alrighty, you guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not already following us on Facebook and Instagram, please go check us out at The Humane Nation. But you're always welcome to contact us through our email at info at thehumanenation.com or through our Instagram or Facebook accounts. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time. Bye.